This episode of The Larry Miller Show is brought to you by Blue Apron. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Larry. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals from blueapron.com slash Larry. And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves being healed... By a group of people praying. Hi, folks, and welcome back to the Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, oh boy, is it beautiful here today on Milleronia. Sometimes it's just so gorgeous, and I know, I know, I control the weather here, and I can make it any way I like, but still, it pays to say how gorgeous it is, and to thank myself. And, uh, boy, it, it's just, it really is. It's a beautiful place. I picked a beautiful island, if I do say so myself. And I built it the right way, if I do say so myself. And, boy, it makes me happy. And so does that music. Every week, every time. Of course, that's the Tom Anberry Orchestra and the Larissa Juarez Dancers, featuring boy tenor Colonel Jeff Fox, asking the musical question... How many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? Well, thank you, Colonel, for a good question. The answer is three. You must walk down three roads, and then everyone can call you a man. Anything less, you're a panty waste. Anything more, you're just showing off. And nobody likes a show-off, do they, folks? I never, to be honest... I've never known what that meant when, uh, as a kid or today, how many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? I, I never got the poetry of it. That was Peter, Paul, and Mary, right? Or <laughs> the colonel just said, or Bob Dylan and Joan Baez. But they're so close, really, those two groups. <laughs> well, you know what? I had no idea, though, as a kid. How many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? I, I, st- I still don't think I know what it is. But I, I could guess, you could guess, but, well, if you happen to know, send us a note on it to the website. But three is a terrific answer. I think, uh, you know, look, at that point, I would say, okay, you're a man, but I'll be honest, I think you need a hobby. And uh, enough with the roads for you for a long time, maybe forever. And uh, you know what, though? Good question, Colonel. Thank you. And uh, I mentioned the uh, that Tom Anberry was leading the orchestra today, and uh, he just passed away. And, you know, folks, I, I've talked about obituaries before on the show. I think they're wonderful things to have in our newspapers, and I think when they're rel- well, well, when they're well-written, it really, it really interests you or moves you or sometimes makes you smile. And this one makes me smile. Because it was just the other day here, not here, but on back on the mainland in the Los Angeles Times, and uh, 
The title of the obituary was Podiatrist Who Set World Record With 2,750 Straight Free Throws Dies at 94. Now, I just thought, I read that and, well, I laughed. Just the, the word podiatrist right off the bat. is It's a funny word. It's Of course, it's a serious thing. When you need a podiatrist, you really need one. You're not walking well. But uh, I thought that was podiatrist who set world record with 2,750 straight free throws dies at 94. And that was Tom Anbury. He was, well, he was uh, born in a, in a different place. I can't remember where I did. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't keep the article. I didn't keep the obit. And uh, Colonel Jeff looked it up on the internet and as he, he, as he put it, and he's right, he said, well, the Internet is finally good for something. And he's right again. But uh, you know what? I I just thought that was great. He's a podiatrist for a long time. And then when he retired in the 90s, he picked up, well, a hobby that I mentioned there before. As I, sometimes I think we all need a hobby. And Tom Anbury, Dr. Tom Anbury, picked foul throws in basketball just he would go to gyms obviously there's no game on but i mean he goes or maybe there was that's a real hobby starting doing your practice during a game but there was of course there's no game on and he would stand there and he would throw and he really made it he analyzed it he chopped it up into everything you do you put your legs there and this is what the obit said by the way you put your legs there your feet are parallel together not together, but I mean, they're parallel, they're on the line, and you, you take a breath in, out, and then you, well, you bend your knees and you take that shot. And he took up free throwing and got so good at it, so quickly. He was just crazy good at it. And they called the Guinness Book of World Records. And they sent someone down, and they found a gym in uh, that was empty right then, in Orange County, and he started, there's no one there, and he started uh, doing his free throws and got to 2,750, breaking the record. And as he put it, it was in the obit that, that Dr. Tom Enbury said, I had a lot more left in me, but the janitor threw us out. Now, I, I, I thought that was great. Another moment in life, you know, I'm going to bring up the theme later of boy, the, the events people think are huge, but they're really not. So-called huge people are usually just idiots. But I think this is wonderful. They went with the Guinness Book of World Records guy down into Orange County, found a gym. No one was playing ball there. So they went in and, well, started to break the record of free throws. And they did, but the but the janitor heard Odie come in and said, "Hey, what are you guys doing here?" And the janitor was well; he he's working there. He's, he's he's the janitor. And they said, one of his friends said, "Could we just please have a little more time? He's uh, he's going to break the Guinness Book of World Records." And the janitor shrugged that off and said, "Oh, all right." But as soon as he broke it, the janitor said, "Okay, now you have to go." So there was no, could he shoot for another 40 minutes or something and see how many he can get to? 
And then the answer was, well, no. <laughs> In any case, though, God bless you, Tom. Dr. Tom. And uh, I hope everyone you loved and your whole family and all your friends, I hope they were all, well, speaking very well of you. And, uh, well, I am too. Because after all, you're the podiatrist who set world record with 2,750 straight free throws and you lived to 94. And you still had enough strength in you to say to a janitor in an empty gym in, in Orange County, could I please have a little more time here? This guy's from the Guinness people and uh, and he still got a response of, oh, okay. So he broke the record. <laughs> At any rate, read the obituaries in your daily paper. You learn a lot and sometimes you just may laugh. And by... Blue Apron. That's right, folks. Blue Apron, as I said at the top of the show, and their sponsor were so happy about that. And uh, you know what? Because the truth is, not all ingredients are created equal. Now, that you, you know that and I know that. Fresh, high-quality ingredients taste better, and they're better for you. So it's important to know where your food comes from for less than $10 per meal. Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers. Family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers, whether it's pork chops and miso butter or spicy shrimp coconut curry. How'd you like that one? Blue Apron is bringing you the best. Thanks again to Blue Apron for supporting our show. It means a lot to us and being a, one of our sponsors. Thank you, folks. And check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free. That's pretty good. With free shipping, too. That's pretty good by going to blueapron.com slash Larry. Boy, those guys... And the food's pretty good, too. It's better than pretty good. It's Larry good. And that brings me to... I know it doesn't mean anything. I don't even know what it meant. But that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. This is great. I love telling a joke to you every week. And Colonel Jeff likes it, too. And you know what? It's always, if the joke's good enough, and if I tell it well enough, we hope you pass it along to, well, your friends and loved ones. And I, I think this is a pretty good joke. We both do. And and here it goes. A fella is in the middle of the woods, and he's hunting. And he sees uh, a moose there, and he's going to, whoa, how do you like that? And he, and he waits till the moose turns the right way, and he just, sure, the moose is a ways away about a hundred feet away, but he's a good shot and he's a good hunter. And uh, bango, crack, he, he shoots the gun or the rifle there. And uh, the moose doesn't drop down, though, by the moose. The, 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 he, the moose gets wounded, but he runs like, well, like a moose. And he runs off and the guy chases him. And they keep going and they keep running and running and running through the woods. And finally... 
the moose collapses. That's it. He's had it. And uh, that shot, that was a fatal shot. And the moose just, well, he's gone. He's done. He's dead. And uh, so the hunter just dresses him right there. Field dresses him. Now, uh, I don't know what that means, but I guess that means you, and you skin it, you take out all the this and you leave all of that. But he dresses him right there, and then he starts pulling him back across the woods to where he first saw the guy and uh, to load him onto his his, his car, his truck. Well, it takes a while, he's, whew, and he's, uh, but he's a good hunter, and he uh, takes a while, but he, he, he gets the moose back there, and he... Whew, Unbelievable. This thing is heavy in two, and he gets it. Sure enough, he gets it one peat, one part, and then the, the, then the front end, then the back end. He gets it onto the top of his truck, and he starts to tie it down. And uh, he sees the guy's walking up to him, and it's a farmer. It's the local farmer. And the farmer says to him, "That's uh, I thought that was you. You just uh, killed that moose? And, and the fellow says, yeah, I did. And the farmer says, well... That moose is mine. This is my farm. This is my land. And you're on it, so I'll take that moose. And the the guy said, no, 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 no. Excuse me. No. No, you're not. See, I, I tracked that moose, and I hunted him, and I saw him, and I got him, and I had to chase him on foot for, for miles, <sighs> three miles past where we are now. And then I dressed him right out in the in the open there. I did a field dressing and then pulled him back myself three miles back right to here, back to my truck. And I put him on top there on, on, on the roof. And I, you know, you know what? This is my moose right now. So scram. And the farmer says, all right, look, I tell you what, you're a good hunter. So I suggest we settle this the old fashioned way. You and I will take turns. We will kick each other in the crotch and then the other fellow will kick the first kicker in the crotch and we'll keep going back and forth until one of us just says you know what i can't take it anymore and the hunter looks at the farmer and the hunter thinks to himself you know what i'm a tough guy i can do that i can take that i can take whatever he dishes out let's see if he can take what i dish out and the farmer says, so they agree, they shake hands, the, the, the hunter says, all right, let's go. And the farmer says, okay, I'm first. And the hunter stands there, he puts his hands on the uh, on his waist and just, he's waiting and he, well, he's a little scared and he's a little edgy, but he stands there just the way he should. And the farmer rears back and with that big farmer boot of his, he kicks this guy right in the groin he punts that guy into next Sunday, and it's so direct and so hard, the guy just collapses and groans, and he can't move. It's five minutes, ten minutes. It's tremendous pain. It's agony, and he can't move, and he's starting to finally catch his breath at least, and he says to himself, the hunter says to himself, okay, that was bad. That was really bad, but I'm tough. I can do it. I can take this. He gets his hands on the dirt there. He finally stands up, and he's still trying to catch his breath. And he says to the farmer, Okay, let's go. My turn. And the farmer says, Nah, you win. 
<laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't see that one coming at all, and neither did the colonel that... Whoa, that's pretty... <laughs> say, that's a pretty tricky farmer there. In any case, I hope you liked it the way we did, and that you pass it along to those you care about. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show... The Poetry Corner. Boy, that's a, that, that string quartet should have been out in the woods with the that hunter and that farmer. Of course, they they he probably would have asked him for help dragging the moose back. And then they could have run themselves. In any case, this is a fine poem. This is a good one. It's called A Hero by Robert Williams Service. And I've read work by him before. But this is a good one, folks. I hope you like it. A Hero by Robert Williams Service. Three times I had the lust to kill to clutch a throat so young and fair and squeeze with all my might until no breath of being lingered there. Three times I drove the demon out, though on my brow was evil sweat, and yet I know beyond a doubt he'll get me yet, he'll get me yet. I know I'm mad. I ought to tell the doctors, let them care for me, confine me in a padded cell, and never, never set me free. But, oh, how cruel that would be, for I am young and comely, too. Yet dim my demon I can see, and there is but one thing to do. Three times I beat the foul fiend back. The fourth I know he will prevail." And so I'll seek the railway track, and lay my head upon the rail, and sight the dark and distant train, and hear its thunder louder roll, coming to crush my cursed brain. Oh, God, have mercy on my soul. Wow. Boy, that guy wasn't kidding around, was he? It's a good poem, folks. I hope you liked it. That's by Robert Williams Service, who was known as the Bard of the Yukon. That was his nickname. Lived from 1874 to 1958. He was born in England, but moved to Canada when he was 21. His first book of poetry, Songs of a Sourdough, has sold more than three million copies, the most commercially successful book of poetry in the 20th century. Thank you for that one, Robert. And uh, you know what? I would say to that fella a hero, and I know he's trying to act as a hero, and he conquered it three times, but he needs to conquer it again and not lay his head down on those tracks. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. MMM, Triple M, The Magic Movie Moment. This is a good one, folks. From 1943, The Pride of the Yankees. Now, as the colonel reminded me, I have talked about this before, but a different part of it. 
And, well, there's something that really relates to something that just happened in my life that you'll hear about right after this. And, well, the two are tied together. This is a great movie. And, by the way, I said to the Colonel, it's also a beautiful, very poetic title, The Pride of the Yankees. It's it's about Lou Gehrig, baseball legend Lou Gehrig, and he's facing a crippling disease at the height of his success. What a great movie this is. Starring, well, directed by Sam Wood, starring Gary Cooper as Lou Gehrig, Teresa Wright as Eleanor Twitchell, who becomes Eleanor Gehrig. Oh, they're so good in this. And there's someone else associated with baseball when this movie was made, and he's in it too. Babe Ruth, playing Babe Ruth, of course, and, well, I love that guy. I'm a as big a fan of Babe Ruth as I could possibly be. It's really wonderful to see him in this. Oh, and what a cast, the rest of the cast. Walter Brennan, Dan Duryea, Elsa Jansen, who plays Lou's mother, and Ludwig Stossel, who plays his father because they were German immigrants. Oh, boy, folks. Virginia Gilmore, Bill Dickey, Ernie Adams, Pierre Watkin, Harry Harvey, and and they deserve to be mentioned like that, and they deserve to be named. It's a wonderful movie, folks. And in fact, it's my favorite baseball movie. I know there's some terrific baseball pictures out there, but mine has always been and will always be Pride of the Yankees. And boy, what a great actor Gary Cooper was. And, And oh, Teresa Wright the same way. To see them meet and fall in love, to see Gary Cooper become a great baseball star, and then to find out, well, as he did in real life, when Lou Gehrig said it was in the end of 1938 season, and, uh, well, he saw a doctor in New York because he felt a weakness in his arms and all over. And the doctor said to him, there in the doctor's office, there's Lou and the doctor. And the doctor tells him, well, what the truth is, that he has amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, I think the name is. And that was known for a long time. It was called Lou Gehrig's disease. And uh, boy, oh boy. <laughs> Just reminded me, by the way, Richard Morris, terrific comedian, but used to have a joke he did in his act. He would say, do you know uh, that Lou Gehrig died of an incurable disease and Babe Ruth died of an incurable disease? And then he'd pause and say... Uh, You get the feeling the Yankee locker room in the 20s wasn't as clean as it might have been? That's a good bit. Good joke. Good joke from Richard Morris. But yes, here's Lou Gehrig talking to the doctor, and the doctor tells him about this disease and how it runs and what's going to happen. And, well, Gary Cooper, as Lou Gehrig says to the doctor there, is it three strikes, Doc? And the doctor nods and says yes and now they call his wife in played again by Teresa Wright and they know they have an understanding this is the way a lot of things were Lou didn't want to tell his wife and a lot of the doctors understood that so they're going to well not tell her and they're going to say it was something else and uh, 
in she comes as Lou Gehrig's wife, and uh, they make a well. A, this is a small joke, I think. Uh, I think Lou actually says to her, "Well, it's a, uh, it's uh, better than we thought." Uh, he says, uh, "I, th- I think I'm pregnant. I think I'm going to uh, have a child." And and he he smiles, and Teresa smiles, and the doctor laughs along. <laughs> But we can see in a second, folks, and so can Teresa Wright. We see that that's not the truth and that they're just trying to put on a happy face for her. And shes it's breaking her heart, but she goes along with it. And as that scene ends, the movie continues. A wonderful movie, folks. And it has that true moment in it when they give, well, when they give Lou Gehrig, this really happened, when they gave him the Lifetime Achievement Award in Yankee Stadium. And he came out into the field there, and Babe Ruth really was there. And all his Yankee colleagues were there too. They're about to play a game. But, well, Lou is going to get this award first, and he says, folks, People all say that I've had a bad break, but today, today I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Well, folks, you know what? That was the real Lou Gehrig. That was the real Gary Cooper playing him. And I hope nothing like that ever happens to you or someone you love. But if it does, I hope that someone has the class Lou Gehrig really had. And you know what, though? It's the reason I wanted to talk about that and the reason, well, that I mentioned Dr. Tom Anberry, who just passed away, that sometimes it's not the big things. Sometimes it's the smaller things that really become huge things. For instance, and I, I, I thought about this. I don't care much about politics. I haven't talked about politics to you. I I haven't mentioned I haven't mentioned it at all and and maybe maybe you know why. Maybe you can guess. Because they're all crazy. I mean, I don't mean well, a little wacky. I mean crazy. I think they're all crazy on both sides. And I mean just nuts. And this has become clear to me that big things don't matter. Stop getting all worked up about them. That'll make you crazy too, you know. You got to be careful. That for instance, every host of every news show to me is crazy and annoying. And if you're watching those shows once, twice, ten times a day, you've caught the disease, folks. I think maybe you're crazy too, and and you'll never get better. And and here's why I bring this up: uh, a good friend of mine, a great friend named Therese, uh, was just very sick. She's been, well, she's been getting sicker for several years now. I guess I know her uh, a year or two. And uh, she had something with uh, her lymph glands and uh, got an infection there, and it was getting worse. And she had something on her throat that was growing out, and she's, folks, well, this is, this is a very gifted woman who's a, a spiritualist, I, I suppose you could say. I said to 
Colonel Jeff before. What what kind of name is that for her? What kind of well, she's an angel. She really talks and listens to well, God, let's start right with the top there. You know, she has access to all sorts of things and she tells about you. She talks about you when you're there and what they say about you and what your angels think. At any rate, I I adore her. She's so moving to be around and it makes you think, boy, there are people on earth. There can't be many like Therese, but there are there are people who have the most talents and the most gifts in in everything, things you can't even imagine. You know how people have always said in your life that, well, at least he has his health. Do you have your health? And people have said that, but they're right, it turns out. Your parents and grandparents were right. Why do old folks talk about health so much? Because they're right. They should. You should. You know what? Do you have something? Do you have a disease? Do you have something wrong? Did it go away? Because right there, you're the luckiest person ever. Well, Therese got sicker. And as of last week, and uh, building around to Thursday, she was the, the this she had a a growth on her neck there of this lymph gland thing, and it got bigger and bigger, and she was in so much pain. And well, she decided because she and she asked, you know, all her advisors, all the angels there, what should, should I take? Any things? Should I go? You know, go to a doctor and get some antibiotics? And uh, and they said very clearly, no, don't, don't see a doctor and don't take any pills like that, because it couldn't do for you more harm than good. She said, all right, but you know what? It got worse, and she was in so much pain last Thursday night. Well, when she she decided. She called up her her closest friends, and she said, "I think I should go to the hospital." I think, and they decided to do that the next day on Friday, and she was really the pain of also was infecting her her breathing now, and it was hard to live. And she arranged; she had her good friend Ruth come to stay with her dog, and and she had arranged, and she was saying. I I called her and just uh, sent her texts, and so did Kirsten, our close friend, and uh, we did this together. And, and we said to her, let us come with you to the hospital. Let us, we'll sit, sit in the room and just smile at you. Or sit in the lobby. I don't care, you know, just to be there. And she said, thank you and thank you, but you know what? Don't do that. Just prayer is the best. Just pray for me. Folks, everyone who cared about her, everyone who cares, prayed. And it's amazing because the, the, the advice was, and this was from the top down, the people who came into her apartment while Ruth was there and the dog was there, the people, they're, well, the highest souls in, in history, they were all there from God on down. And folks, they just d did it a certain way. They, She noticed in the middle of Friday that it was, there were tiny dots coming on 
that growth. So no one was no one was slashing it apart or having things. God knows how much would have come out there or gone back in or infected more. And it started it started to go down. She noticed that in the middle of Friday, it was going down. There were little tiny dots that were, well, that were getting the, the, the liquid out of there, out of the infection. And she was, and she knew it was the right thing to do. And she knew that's why she was being advised to stay where you are and surrender it to everyone and everyone who counts. Folks, she not only lived, it kept going down. By Saturday, she was so happy. I haven't seen her this happy since I first met her. And I love her. And I went there, well, well, yesterday, and I went there before coming out here to Milleronia, and I saw a smile there I've never seen, and she was beautiful and smiling. She was so happy. And you know what? We knew, and Kirsten and I knew that, are you healthy? Do you have your health? She does. That thing has gone down. It's it's flush with her neck now. And she wears bandages on it. And uh, I've never seen someone this happy. And in fact, I'm going to write to her after we talk. You and I finish uh, talking after the show is done. And she knows it. Why do old folks talk about health so much? Because they're right. She knows it. Do you have something? Did it go away? She knows. She had something. And it's almost all gone away. And think about this, by the way. What's the sickest you ever get in life? You. Me. What's the sickest we ever get? Well, a hangover is the classic one. Uh, If you got a hangover, a, a cold or the flu, those go away. And we don't think about that. Let's say you've been out drinking a ton and... Well, you have a a big, bad, horrible hangover the next day. By 8 o'clock at night, on the hangover day, after drinking, you're far better than you were that morning, right? And you know it. And you're happy. How often are you happy? Good Lord. And even if your hangover hasn't gone away yet, you have hints that it will. Every one of us has asked, our entire adult lives. Why are there hangovers? Why do we have to have hangovers? Well, you know what? Now we know. A hangover is God's way of saying, see what happens? Hey, stupid. You were horribly sick this morning and all day, right? Now you're getting better. Now you are better. And you know what? By eight or nine at night, you're feeling tired and weak, but you're healthy. And it doesn't hurt anymore, does it? And you're ready for a gallon of water and a good night's sleep and maybe a long hot bath before the sleep and a good brushing of the teeth and clean pajamas and clean white socks. Sounds great, actually, doesn't it? And it reminds us of something, well, we don't know or we never learned or we forget too easily. It is great. 
That's why I, I, I have no patience or respect for politics. Whoever sits in that Oval Office is already a jerk just to get there. Now, this is the last guy, the next guy, two guys before him, two guys later than that. They don't matter, folks. Being sick and getting better and taking a long shower, that matters. Whether it's liquor or an infection or something that could have killed you but didn't, whew, wow, that matters. Just ask Therese. She knows what matters, and she always did know, but now she knows. And her friends that love her, like me and Kirsten and a bunch of others, we know too. Kirsten's face also is just smiling and shining with a light that wasn't there before. Good Lord, the proof of who came down to, to heal Therese. This is really something, folks. I guess I I like to think I know a few things, and you know a few things, too. I'm glad we know the same ones, that Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. So remember, folks, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to, and someone there who cares about you, folks... The game's over and you've won. And that's still the truest thing I know. If you have something, get better, folks, and we'll see you here next time.